Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price, a medical oncologist and president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series of podcasts, I'm interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country, indeed in the world, to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Hello, my name is Christina Sitt, and I'm part of the team at Lung Cancer Canada. I'm not your usual host of Lung Cancer Voices, but during this extraordinary time of COVID-19, for this episode, your usual host, Dr. Paul Price, has become the interviewee. We've gathered questions that we've heard from patients across Canada are going to take the next little while talking about COVID-19 issues that matter to Canadian lung cancer patients and their families. Thank you and welcome Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price. Thanks, Christina. It's um, nice to be doing this podcast and I think important, isn't it, given the extraordinary times we're facing. And um, I hope I will manage okay at answering your questions instead of posing them as in the normal podcasts. Um, you know, and I think you're absolutely right. During these extraordinary times, there's considerable anxiety that we're hearing from patients across the country. And one of the questions, one of the top questions that we get are, they, they want to know, as a lung cancer patient, are they more at risk to contract COVID-19? Right. So that's a great starting point. And, you know, we're all worried about contracting COVID because of the devastation we're seeing uh, around the world. Um, actually, right now, I think Canada is doing relatively well, and we can be thankful with the healthcare system we've got and the way that I think Canadians are responding to the public health advice. We know from some early data that came out of the pandemic when it started in China that cancer patients. Um, are more at risk of complications of COVID. So what I mean by that is we're not certain that having lung cancer per se increases your risk of contracting the virus. But what we are worried about is that for people who do contract the virus, if you have an underlying condition, and from that Chinese series, particularly it was apparent in lung cancer patients, there is an increased risk of complications. So what you're saying is it doesn't mean that if I have lung cancer, it doesn't mean that I will more likely get COVID-19 than someone that doesn't have lung cancer, but it may change my outcome. Exactly that. Not at an increased risk, however, an increased risk of complications if you get it. And so what happens if I do get it? Um, does that change my treatment at all? So that's another really important question because people who are on treatment for lung cancer, we commonly will end up delaying someone's treatment for a while if they get another illness, if they get a chest infection or a urine infection, or they catch the flu, the, the, the more common influenza. Uh, and so in that sense, we don't need to be too worried. Uh, if you do catch COVID, uh, the coronavirus, then uh, for most people, it's fairly mild symptoms or maybe not no symptoms at all. And if we knew that you had COVID, we would say, okay, we're gonna delay your treatment until you've recovered and then we'll get going again. And so I don't think we sh should be alarmist 
um, about this. Uh, people will take a treatment break um, because of a family event or for a vacation or because of another illness anyway. And I think the same principle would apply for coronavirus. Sounds good. Uh, one of the things that you did say was the symptoms. And some of the questions that we are hearing is that, you know, with lung cancer patients, a cough is a very common symptom of lung cancer. They're worried that they're not able to differentiate between the symptoms of lung cancer and that lung cancer cough and the COVID-19 cough. Right. And that's, again, very important because the symptoms of the two diseases do have a degree of overlap. And so how do we differentiate one from the other? So I think we should be clear on what are the common symptoms of coronavirus. And while cough is one of those, other symptoms are a sore throat, fever, and myalgias. Myalgias are like joint aches, muscle aches and pains. And those later symptoms, fever, the, the myalgias, and the sore throat, they're not so typical of lung cancer. So what I would say is if you have lung cancer and you have a cough and it's been going on for a while and it hasn't really changed, then really don't worry too much. But if you start to develop those other symptoms, then that is the time to say, okay, maybe something else is going on and maybe I should seek some medical attention. And in that scenario, what I would recommend is you, you speak to your lung cancer team where you are because in different places across the country will have different mechanisms for evaluation and arranging testing for COVID if that's what's needed. So for example, there are a number of cancer centers which um, uh, are offering COVID testing to their patients, but not all. Others might say, you know, to go to a central coronavirus testing site or some other option. So the take home message is really look for a change. And if that change is related to some of the COVID-19 symptoms, then speak to your doctor and see what the next steps are. Exactly. If you're experiencing a cough and it's just carrying on like it was before, then probably not, uh, uh, not such a, a concern uh, to get anxious about coronavirus. It's that change in symptoms. Now that does bring in, of course, of another issue. What happens if you've got a cough and then maybe the cough starts to get worse and you're feeling a bit more out of breath? Uh, then there can be a difficult judgment. Could that be that you're developing an infection like coronavirus, or could it be that the lung cancer is getting worse? And so these are difficult things that, you know, uh, physicians and your treating team are, are going to be asking that same question. So if you have a change in your symptoms, get in touch with your team, and then hopefully they will be able to help you navigate through whether you need to go and get a coronavirus test or a different assessment uh, to see if the lung cancer itself has changed. And so when you're talking about your healthcare professional team, this doesn't necessarily mean you have to go into the hospital, even for your appointment. I, as I understand it, there are steps that hospitals are taking to keep patients out of hospital. Right. And so I can tell you in my practice, um, about 90% of the consultations that I'm doing now that I would have done in face-to-face, -face, I'm now doing by telephone or a telehealth uh, video link. And, you know, that's not ideal but um, you know I think a lot of the issues we're trying to face are um, balancing risk what is the bigger risk for 
our um, our lung cancer patients is the bigger risk um, to um, bring them in and out of hospital for tests and treatments and scans and appointments each time they they come in and out then we're potentially exposing them to the risk of the infection um, or is the risk greater to leave them at home and not do the full assessment uh, and I think for the vast majority of people, we can say, look, we can safely say we'll do this as a telephone or telehealth assessment. And then if there's something going on in that assessment, we might say, OK, um, for you, we should see you in person. And that brings up a very um, common question that we also get. And patients are afraid of going into the hospital and they are afraid of getting COVID-19. But they're also equally afraid because they're on active treatment and they're afraid of delays in their treatment. Right, okay. So maybe I could just take a step back about going to the hospital. Um, what I would recommend uh, people do is if you do need to go to the hospital, uh, just check the hospital website before you go or call because the hospital will probably have some clear guidance set out. And rather than um, uh, overloading um, uh, phone lines, often that information will be uh, quite readily available. And so it may be uh, simple things like to bring a mask or you'll be asked to wear a mask when you get there, or if you have symptoms of a fever, um, then do this or, uh, you know, simple guidance. So check, the, check that website. Also, you should probably be checking uh, the, the public health advice. And as we know, if anyone who's been following this, uh, the public health advice does evolve over time as our public health agencies learn more about the virus and how things are affecting our communities. And so, you know, the advice might change about uh, wearing a mask, having a visitor, et cetera. So that would be um, uh, just a, a point about maybe checking ahead before you go to the hospital. Now, in terms of uh, your question about uh, delays in treatment, and of course, this is um, uh, a source of uh, understandable anxiety to, to a lot of people. And I think what I first do is try to reassure people that you know these decisions about whether somebody should take a break in treatment or or continue they're not made on a whim uh, they're not flippant decisions that your physician will be making up as they go along um, the internationally nationally provincially uh, lots of guidelines are now rapidly being produced to help um, clinicians and patients alike navigate through this as safely as possible. Now, that again comes back to this concept of balancing risk. Uh, the risk of not treating a lung cancer which is already here and you already have and it's causing you symptoms and it's an imminent threat to your health versus the risk of exposure to coronavirus. So there'll be some people and there's some of patients that I'm already speaking to who are on their cancer treatment, it's working very well, but they're feeling well, their cancer has been stable for some time, and on balance for them, it's gonna be better to take a break from treatment rather than carry on and just sit it out at home for the next um, period of time, month, six weeks, um, and then uh, safely restart the treatment at the end of this. And there's a whole uh, group of people in my practice that I have no concerns about that they can safely take a break from treatment. Then there are others, of course, where it's the opposite. They may be newly diagnosed, they have more symptoms, 
And on balance, if we don't continue treatment, the lung cancer becomes a bigger threat to their health than the potential risk of contracting coronavirus. And so what hospitals and healthcare systems are doing now are trying to um, really figure this out. So if we need to, we can say to you know, some people, okay, look, you can safely take a break and other people know we're gonna really prioritize uh, you receiving care, uh, continuing with your treatment. And in those circumstances, what can we do to make that as safe and as easy as possible? So the, the bottom line is that the healthcare professionals and your doc, the team of doctors and uh, healthcare team are all working to keep you safe and uh, trying to balance the risk of you taking a break, which you many can safely do versus coming into the hospital. And if you do need to come into the hospital and do need to continue treatment, then you may be able to do that as well. Right. And yes, I mean, I don't think any uh, physician or nurse working in oncology that I'm aware of uh, is interested in depriving people of treatment that is important for their health. Um, what we are interested in doing is, um, is continuing with treatments which are important for your health, but also uh, protecting uh, unnecessary risk. Um, the challenge will come is if the system becomes overwhelmed and while and there are people who we really feel we should be able to we should carry on treating but we just don't have the capacity to do that anymore now um, that brings us back to this real goal that we have as a nation and of prevention to you know flatten the curve so we don't overwhelm our healthcare system and so then that is important for all of us to do the things that we've, these new phrases we've learned about that we never heard before of self-isolation, social self distancing, washing your hands for sing happy birthday while you're washing your hands. Don't touch your face. Uh, if you know people are sick, they should stay away. If you have cancer, you know, somebody in your family or a neighbor can please ask them to do your groceries for you. Those kind of things. So we don't get to the, the point where we're overwhelmed and then we have to make these horrible decisions about um, should some people who really need their treatment have to wait. Right. So say happy birthday to your best friend over FaceTime or video as opposed to knocking on the door and giving them a hug at this time. Right, and aren't there some wonderful things that you can see online um, of the, the use of technology? And I was just looking some, at something on the BBC website today of, um, a couple who were meant to be getting married and uh, that's on hold and uh, I think the best man or someone had put together a big zoom 50 guests uh, sort of wedding um, celebration event and a lot of that's happening I'm doing that with my friends and colleagues around the world I'm sure you are uh, as well so you know use these technologies uh, to try and um, keep you sane and as happy as possible um, without being exposed. So taking care of your mental health is just as important as taking care of your physical health. If we think about some of one of your earlier comments about um, that group of people that are stable and can um, stay away from the hospital or those that you can see over video conferencing or perhaps those that are on oral medications, if is it possible for them to be able to get an extra month of prescriptions or so that they don't have to go to the pharmacy? Is that something they should be asking their doctors for? 
Yeah, I think that's very sensible. And a lot of physicians and pharmacies are already practicing this. So if you would normally get a 30 day supply of a pill, uh, now you'd get a 60 or 90 day supply. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's been very impressive how, you know, so many different elements of the healthcare uh, profession and of society in general have risen to the challenge of being flexible on uh, some of these issues that historically we've been maybe a bit more rigid on and um, prolonging prescriptions is a good example of that. Now for those that are on more hospital-based treatments like say, chemotherapy or immunotherapy, one of the other questions that we are getting is that does that make them more susceptible or uh, for COVID-19 because their immune system is different? Right, okay, so let's take chemotherapy first because typically we think of chemotherapy as treatments that suppress your immune system and immunotherapy is ones that boost your immune system. But there are some myths that we should bust for both of those. So firstly, chemotherapy, when it suppresses your immune system, typically it's affecting a particular type of cell called a neutrophil. And neutrophils really are our body's defense system against bacterial infections. But coronavirus is a virus, not a bacteria. And the blood cells that fight viruses, called lymphocytes, are not so badly affected by chemotherapy. So while your immune system is somewhat suppressed with chemo, um, it probably isn't suppressed too much um, specifically related to the risk of coronavirus. Now, on the contrary, immunotherapy, where, where we, we talk about immunotherapy boosting your immune system and it activates a, a typical type of cell called a T cell to fight the cancer. Those T cells do not fight coronavirus. Uh, it's a very specific part of the immune system that's being activated with immunotherapy to target the cancer. So immunotherapy is not uh, a protection from coronavirus. So what about those who've had surgery? How does the virus affect those people? Right, so people who have had other types of um, non-drug-based lung cancer treatment, and we'll, let's put surgery and radiation treatment together with those, both surgery and radiation can end up with a reduction in your lung capacity, either because you've had a part of your lung removed or because part of the lung has now got some scarring from radiation. So neither of those things should put you at increased risk of catching COVID-19 or coronavirus. What our concern would be is um, the risk of complications that if you did end up getting sicker from coronavirus, that you may not have as much lung capacity to deal with that as somebody who has not had part of their lung removed. So again, it comes back to if you've had lung surgery, if you've had radi radiotherapy to your lungs, prevention is, um, is, the, is the key here. So social distancing, hand washing, good hygiene, don't touch your face, all of the things that we discussed earlier. With all these key messages, it seems that uh, the key message is that we are all working to keep you safe. We are all working to reduce your risk and, as, um, and the situation is rapidly evolving. So at this time, do you have any final thoughts or any final key messages to anything you want to tell lung cancer patients across the country? 
Yeah, Christina, I think that's a very good summation that you just gave there. So I, I probably don't need to add too much. Um, to finish, I'd say, you know, of course, this is a worrying time and we're, we're all worried about this. We're, we're worried for, uh, for, for our family and for our loved ones. We're, as healthcare professionals, we're worried for our patients. Um, and we want, um, uh, we want people to stay safe. And so please do listen to the advice you're getting locally in terms of how to protect yourself and where to go for resources or testing if you do get unwell. Um, and then specifically for uh, people with lung cancer, you know, we as a healthcare community are working really very hard to try and uh, balance the risk and keep you safe and out of hospital as best as possible. And then recognizing um, that for many, we still need to keep going with treatments and do that in a safer manner as possible. And then together, hopefully, uh, we will get through this with as uh, little damage as possible. So on behalf of all lung cancer patients and patients everywhere, we just want to say thank you, Dr. Whitney Price, to you and the rest of the healthcare team for keeping us safe and for trying to keep our system, healthcare system running um, during this very difficult time. So reach out to Lung Cancer Canada with any other questions and we hope everyone stays safe and keeps well. Thanks, Christina. You did a great job hosting the podcast. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at LungCan and on Twitter at LungCancer underscore can. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.